welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women in science, technology, engineering and maths, or STEM, an opportunity to share honestly and openly about what it's really like working in these typically male-dominated subjects. Each week, one woman shares her stories and experiences. She could be a public figure, the girl next door, or someone from a far-off land. The point is she'll be deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we're not distracted by the details of her achievements, her labels, or what she looks like. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, also a woman in STEM. I studied mechanical engineering and ended up as a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting edge technology and innovation over the years. And through my television work, I've met some incredible women from a diverse range of STEM fields. And you know what? I've been more amazed about what I've learned from these women when the cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. These women have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human, just like the rest of us. And it's that off-air honesty that I'd love to share with you through silence. This week, my guest is in the field of neuroscience. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, When I first told you about it being anonymous, what were your feelings towards that? Um, I I agree with um, your reasons for making it anom- anonymous because um, yes, it's true that sometimes when you're when you have a camera in front of you or when your title and your um, your achievements are going along with your story, you're more careful about what you say. So I totally agree with um, the, the, your reason for making it anonymous. Yeah, that was actually. Um an inspiration for the show because I have had such incredible conversations, like really inspiring, uplifting and supportive conversations with women in STEM. But the minute you want to record it, they kind of clam up and get very self-conscious. Yes, that's true. So tell me how it all began for you as a neuroscientist. Was it obvious from an early age that you would end up studying that subject? Absolutely not, actually. Um, when I was younger, all I wanted to do was be like my eldest brother um, because he was so tall and he was a medical doctor and I just wanted to do everything he did. Um, so at school, I did the normal subjects. So my, my background, actually, my secondary school education started in Nigeria, in Africa, and I excelled in all of the subjects. But when it came to deciding a, a particular focus. The, the trend was that if you're good at science, you became a science student. And that's, that's how I ended up, you know, becoming a science student. And also, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the rigor of it. I enjoyed the calculations. I enjoyed understanding how the world works or why things happen the way they do. So I, I thrived as a science student. And along the line, I, I carried on. I moved to the UK came here to do my A-levels in physics, chemistry, and biology. And it was during that time I decided to actually apply to study medicine. But And I got a place, actually, um, for, 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 to get on the course. But I actually missed the grade. So I was, I was offered other options if I wanted to. So I ended up studying pharmacology at university. And it was during that, those three years I had time to really think about whether medicine actually was for me. And I decided that it wasn't because I really enjoyed the research side of things. I fell in love with um, working in the lab and understanding really 
how the brain works. And that was because of a, because of a module in my final year. Um, it was a neuroscience module. And I just really enjoyed understanding the mechanisms around pain or understanding different diseases, especially how the brain sometimes fails to work. And that was really my, my, the beginning of my fascination with the brain. And I was fortunate enough to get a placement during the summer between my second and third year to work in the lab with, a, with an amazing scientist who was focused on Alzheimer's disease research. And that was, for me, the hook, and I couldn't let it go. So I was really, really excited about the opportunity to pursue a PhD um, in neuroscience. And I, I sent out several applications to different universities, and I was opportune to get a scholarship to, to do that in London, in London. Wow, what a journey. When you were young and you were starting out in your STEM journey, which obviously was extensive, were you naturally gifted in the sciences? I'll say I was only because I studied hard and I really enjoyed it. And for me, if I focus on something, I understand it, then I'm excited about it. And, you know, in, in that sense, yes, I was. Um, so a lot of my early STEMs, you know, understanding wasn't actually practical. It was a lot of just reading to understand and then just accepting that this is how things work. But when I moved to the UK and I actually had practical lessons, that was when, you know, my eyes really um, were broadened and I was really intrigued about how, you know, you can go from, um, you know, chemistry, you, how you can actually do experiments in the lab and actually see um, the results right there in front of you because obviously you had more we had more facilities in the UK. Um, so that was the hook, really. I really enjoyed it. And as you can imagine, as a child, if you if you excel at something, then you're, you know, you, you become more excited to do more of it. So, yeah. So was there ever a time where you were conscious that you're female in a typically male dominated area? To be honest, that didn't occur to me. Um, I just saw it. I just saw studying a science subject as something I was good at, and it wasn't until much later, probably after I'd finished my PhD, I realized that okay, this is. And also, actually, when I looked at the careers of more senior people in my departments, and then I saw that there weren't that many women, but in my day-to-day -day work in the lab, I was actually surrounded surrounded by more women than men. I know it was, it's not typical of most um, um, STEM departments and, you know, around the world, but in my situation, we had more women, more you know, women with kids, more women who were married, and quite few men. Um, so yes, it was later on I realized that that was an unusual situation. But the one thing I did notice was that there weren't as many um, African scientists as I would have liked within my department. I was usually the only um, ethnic um, student around and I I just thought, okay, this is interesting, but keep moving on. And it was later on that I realized that, okay, had I, had I seen more African scientists, perhaps I would have been encouraged to stay longer in science. Yeah, often conversations on silence end up kind of 
around the subject of being in a minority, whether that's being female or from a certain part of the world. Why do you think we need to be surrounded by people who are similar to us? Why do you think it's important? I think as humans, one of the basic things we crave is belonging. And that starts from seeing people that look like you and seeing that it's possible, seeing that it can be done, it, it can be done, and seeing that your color or your race or your ethnicity doesn't really play a part. And for the most part, I actually believe that. I believe I believed that, you know, during my time as a PhD student where I knew that I was being judged by the quality of my work. And by because, you know, as you know, science is quite a multicultural um, discipline and I, I it reflected that my environment reflected that we had people from all over the world but at the core of who we are independent of how our work is being judged based by the quality the research our findings our discoveries we want belonging and I think one of the things I, I would have loved to see would have been more people of different ethnicities who could support each other because at the end of the day there's something that gets um, lost in translation somehow when, I don't know, beyond the science, you have um, different races or different genders or something. There is just something. There's something to be said for belonging. There's something to be said for seeing people that look like you doing what you want to do. So I think, you know, I'm all for encouraging young people from diverse backgrounds to pursue science but ultimately they really have to enjoy it because it's it's one thing to enjoy it and it's another thing to feel like you you belong and you see people like you i think you know it's it's, it makes for an amazing environment if you have those two things working for you were there any times in your stem career where you were not enjoying what you were doing yes absolutely um absolutely i remember very clearly my first year in my PhD, I was actually going to quit my PhD because I felt it wasn't going as quickly as I thought it should have. I, I had to wait for quite a few committees to meet up um, to be able to approve my samples because I because I use um, human brain samples and I had to go through several stages of approval before I, and as you can imagine, that's essential to get consent and to understand why I needed the samples and to make sure that, you know, it's, you know, what, we really didn't need we really did need the samples for my research so that that was quite frustrating for me because i'm a person who likes to work quickly i'm driven by achievements based on timelines and yes i literally was going to quit my phd because i thought this isn't going as quickly as i would have liked so i had a period of 9 months where i was doing basic um, science but you know i was quite lucky that i had the right people around me who advised me to make the most of that time. So I ended up just attending seminars. I ended up going to lots of trainings and reading up on literature. So building my background in awareness of the, the field and just making sure I really knew what I was getting myself into before um, my samples were approved. So yes, definitely there, there were periods where I didn't enjoy it. But then as soon as my samples were approved. It was nonstop until the end. And that was when I, you know, the, 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 the fire was, you know, back in me. And I really enjoyed working in the lab and finding out why um, 
the brain sometimes doesn't work as I did in, in my research. Has there always been something you're striving for in particular? Like it might be, I don't know, self-evolution? I, I don't know. Like what's been your purpose? Um, from, an, from an early age, I just knew that um, I, I wanted to do well. Actually, I remember a moment when I was in probably, I was probably 11 or 12 in class and a teacher asked the question and a girl raised up her hand and she answered it. And I was like, okay, that's good. I didn't know the answer to that question. But then I went on that day and I read the notes that we were given the week before. And I was like, this is easy. She literally just read the notes and she was able to answer that question. And I remember very clearly that, okay, if you want to be able to excel at school, I just had to do the work. And from then on, I made sure I studied. I think I remember that very clearly. I just made sure I studied. I knew I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be knowledgeable. I, 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 I have a quest for learning. I love learning up to today. I, I feel like learning is like, is like breathing to me. Um, yeah, so I just always wanted to learn. I always wanted to know things. I always, even to the, even outside of science, I love reading about people, about their stories, about their journeys. I am just a student um, of the world, really. So I think learning is key for me. Learning is at the core of everything I do. Just le- wanting to know, you know, wanting to understand. And as I've progressed in my career, really looking for wisdom. Wow. And you mentioned your brother as being an inspiration. Uh, who else were your role models? Growing up, actually, my brother was my only role model, <laughs> my eldest brother. So he's a medical doctor. Um, and I just literally wanted to be like him growing up until I you know, got to university, actually, because I wasn't really surrounded by... So I come from a family where my, my dad was a teacher. My mom you know, worked in the medical field as well. So it was quite a, you know, quite a, an academic fa- family. And I remember my mom used to tell me growing up, your book is your best friend. So I was, you know, I was really encouraged to study and to learn. Um, I, I remember having encyclopedias growing up and just reading about them and looking at pictures of, you know, random animals and understanding where they live and why they live there. So learning has always been encouraged in my home. So I would say really my mom and my brother, and to a large extent, my dad um, have been my role models because they really just put that spark in me to want to learn, to want to be aware, and to be and to also to, and also to believe that if I do the work, I, I will I will I will succeed. So yeah, yeah, my dad, my my mom, for all for different reasons. So my dad is he had two rules at home. Are you studying and are you going to church? Those are his only two rules. Out of, outside of that, you can do anything else you want. And for my brother, really, it was it was just because he was there. He was the only one person I looked up to in terms of careers, and that that was it really. And then when I, um, whilst I was doing my PhD, I started to research about what scientists did in and outside of the lab. And then I started to find <clears throat> new role models. Um, in terms of in life as well. And how did you select those more current role models? As in, clearly, since you've grown up 
we tend to choose different role models based on what we want out of life. Yes. So how have your role models changed and why are they role models for you today? My role models today are people who have actually just gone after what their dreams are. Um, and people especially who have achieved remarkable feats regardless of the ethnicity or um, or background or obstacles. So I'd actually say whilst I was a science student doing my PhD now, I didn't really have role models per se. I, I had peers who were mentors. I had peers who helped me, who encouraged me, who um, who I could go to to talk to about my my problems as I was, you know, working in the lab. But it was when I finished actually my my PhD that I actually realized that yes, I do need um, mentors. So I use the word mentors and role models role models interchangeably. Um, and actually, a lot of them who have worked with me in the past few years. I, I didn't actually choose them. They chose me. And I'm so grateful because they took the time out to, to be a sounding board for me. Um, the only one person I actually approached to be a mentor was uh, a lady who, who is a magistrate and also a vicar. And I just, I looked at her. I thought, okay, this is an accomplished woman. This is a woman who, who is confident, who is, um, who is successful. And I thought, you know, I'm I'm quite lost at this point in my career. And I just said to her, I really need some guidance. And she took me under her wing. So I that that was the one person I approached to to be a mentor for me. And through that one person, I I actually found others who took time to to show me the ropes and to to guide me, to be there for me when I had questions. So I'll say people who were selfless, people who had um accomplished great feats in their own careers and who were willing to give back. So I was quite fortunate to meet these people. And yes, I'm eternally grateful to them. And do you think there are enough women around to be role models or mentors for other girls and women who are going along a STEM path? Absolutely. Absolutely, there are. But the problem is... I feel, in my opinion and in my in my short experience, I feel that sometimes the younger women have in their mind they have they have this fear in terms of approaching the more experienced women, and the more experienced women are quite busy themselves that they might not actually have the time or that that mental gap to actually look around to say who can I support here because you have to be careful you know sometimes you don't want to overstep your boundary you don't want to meet you don't want to offer help to somebody who doesn't need help or who doesn't feel like they need help so I feel there needs to be a meeting ground sometimes between the people who are looking for knowledge and the people who want to give the knowledge but I absolutely believe and also in my experience a lot of my mentors are women but I had to approach them sometimes first to, to ask for that help. You know, there's no point giving help to somebody if they don't think they need it. So I think the first step sometimes needs to come from the younger person who is seeking the support and encouragement from an older experienced person that they admire and they aspire to be or, that, or whose career inspires them. 
you know, but I absolutely definitely believe there are more, there are enough um, mentors around. You just have to go looking for them. Do you think there's a difference between different STEM subjects in terms of gender equality? Because I've talked to, say, mechanical engineers who, or planetary scientists who really cannot find women in their field. And often they are representing the female population in their subjects. Um, do you think that circumstance exists in neuroscience? Um, I can only speak from my own experience, but I, I, am abs- I agree that in some other fields, there might be that challenge, especially for in neuroscience or in science or science in general. I saw and I, I can I can tell you that there are lots of women, obviously not as much as not a lot of them are in high high executive or senior positions, but there are women there. Um for 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 subjects like engineering and maths, um I yeah, definitely I can I can imagine that there there might be a shortage of women available but sometimes um it takes you going beyond probably your university or your institution or sometimes across the world you know across the pond to other countries to actually get that support you need um i know that there there are some schemes who actually encourage engineering women or who profile women in engineering or women in in mathematics and you know women who are astronauts for example they're few and far between but i still believe that if you if you reach out to people you should be able, you 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 you're likely to find um mentors or role models and failing that actually there are lots of men who support women as well there are lots of men who who are aware that there's there's an issue in terms of gender equality in, in STEM areas, and they're quite willing to to support the younger generation of women as well. So I've I've been I've been I've been able to benefit from a few um, men mentors myself. So there are people out there, regardless of um, um, the agenda, who are willing to help. So you know, I, I I wouldn't let that stop me if I were young if I were a young person in engineering or um, maths or or science today, whether, you know, I had a female mentor or a male mentor, the point is I would go after the knowledge wherever it is. Do you ever think that maybe girls are afraid to approach people for help because it might be a sign of weakness or they may get rejected in some way? Do you think that's a thing that exists? Absolutely. I agree because I myself, it it took a long time for me to get to the point where I could I could ask for help, you know, beyond my comfort um, zone. You know, it takes, it took me some time and I believe it actually takes girls longer than, than it should compared to, to, to our, our male peers. Um, and the one thing I'll say to that is, I remember one of my mentors actually telling, telling me this, that young girls need to find that confidence from somewhere, you know, whether it's a, it's a father or a brother or an uncle or a male, you know, role model in your life to instill that confidence in you because we do sell ourselves short compared to our male pairs. And um, yes, that fear of rejection is at the forefront of of our minds. And sometimes even when we're um, good enough, 
we 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 doubt ourselves so we need to just say you know so what and just go after what we really need um yes the fear of rejection is there it, it really i don't know if it goes away <laughs> no one wants to be rejected you know i i don't i certainly i certainly don't want to be rejected but it happens you know but you know if you send out 10 emails at least one or two of them will respond with a positive response so i think it's just um being aware that these things happen and that you just need to take your chance and you know as time goes on you, you you start to develop that thick skin and the right people who are for you will respond positively to what you need so it's it's about not giving up in in reaching out to people and just believing that the right person would, would um will support you yeah it seems like time and time again when i am recording for silence the issue of confidence and self-belief and self-doubt seems to be very significant amongst women and less of an issue amongst men. And I I wonder, first of all, if that's even true. But if it is true, why do women struggle more with this than men? Hmm, that's a very good question. Yeah, I honestly... I honestly just, I, I, I'm baffled by it. I mean, if it is the case, and I'm sure there's probably research on it, how can we bypass it as women? Is it simply a case of just pushing past it? How can we deal with it? You know, I think, you know, we all have to, we all at some point will go through that, you know, at some point in your career, you'd ask yourself, am I good enough? Do I deserve to be here? How did I get here? Do You know, I was actually speaking to a friend a couple of um, days ago, and we talked about imposter syndrome and how um, when we were doing our PhDs, we, we were always thinking, oh my God, I hope I don't get found out. You know, do I deserve to be here? Um, did they make a mistake? <laughs> you know, and for me, I realized after some time that, you know what, you know, I had a panel of about 12 people interview me for my PhD um, studentship and 12 people cannot be wrong. You know, I had to, you know, accept that, you know what, you deserve to be here as much as everybody else. Get your head down, focus and do the work and, you know, let your work speak for itself, you know, but then again, it's, I think it's our, maybe it's our upbringing, maybe it's it's our background, maybe it's um, the cultural um, aspect of it as well. Um, it could be it could be so many factors, but at some point you have to just take a, take a hold of your life and just be responsible for it. You know that might take longer for others. Uh, you know that might take a longer time for some than others, but I feel like everyone goes through that at some point, you know, everybody will, will doubt themselves. <laughs> or I think it's probably, sometimes it's good because if you think you're actually, uh, if you're arrogant about actually, I deserve to be here, I'm God's, God's gift to science, then actually maybe there's something wrong there. Um, it, it, sometimes it's healthy, you know, but I think we have to overcome that. And um, I think, you know, being aware that you deserve you know, to be where you are or being or seeing that there are other people who have gone ahead of you, other people who have validated you um, and holding that, holding on to those moments would maybe help um, younger girls. I don't know. Yeah, it, it does seem, I mean, imposter syndrome comes up a lot as well. And the responsibility of dealing with that does 
lie with us you know it's it's important to climb out of that but another thing that comes up is the importance of a good support network Absolutely. how important has that been for you oh it's everything it's everything i i always tell my friends and i make a note to make sure i thank them from time to time and my family um for their support because I always say to them, you know, oh, you guys are congratulating me on all these things, you know, but if it wasn't for you, I probably wouldn't have the confidence to go out into the real world and achieve everything I'm doing. Um, because I think, like I said earlier, at the core of who we are, we want belonging and we want um, we want to have people around us who encourage us, who, who validate us. Now, if you don't have that, I think your outlook on life um might be more aggressive than it should be um because i know personally from my experience that just having the support of my friends especially when when i i face obstacles telling me just keep going things will happen don't worry about the situation now i you know just keep going put in the hours put in the work it's possible i think that always without fail takes me out of a rot when I get down sometimes and encourages me to just keep going. And then I, I realize that actually they are right. Actually, things are going well now. So I think it's it's invaluable, really, to have an amazing support network. And investing in those networks actually is what is what comes back to you. You know, you know, finding time to spend with family and friends, creating new friendships, you know, being being comfortable with leaving your comfort zone sometimes. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's essential that you have a, a good support network supporting you and cheering you on. Yeah, I don't know whether you've ever experienced this, but coming from an ethnic minority, sometimes education is really a way of commanding respect. Yeah. Being seen as valid or put another way you can you can earn respect through education yeah um and so sometimes family uh, are really aware of how significant education can be so sometimes um in my case I, I feel like my parents were very much pushing me to get the best education I could get and so um often uh being pushed came from home mm. you know yeah did you ever experience that kind of pressure um not really you know the the only pressure i i experienced was when i was at secondary school and uh, even a levels and university the bottom line in my family was you should you should do the best you can do make sure you put in the effort make sure you 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 achieve the best as much as you can but no one really so i i understood that bottom line and i wanted that for myself as well um like you said yes as as an ethnic minority you know education is paramount and coming from nigeria if you if you have any nigerian friends our parents actually drummed that into our heads because the, the economic situation in Nigeria is such that even if you're a graduate, sometimes it's it's challenging to secure a, a successful or to, or to achieve a successful career. So imagine if you didn't have that. 
So where would you be? Where do you start from? So that 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 is the that was the bottom line for me, and I was aware of that too. But the thing is, I actually wanted success for myself as well. But whether I did a PhD or not, no one told me. Do you want to do a PhD? No, I actually just said, okay, you know, I am actually sure that medicine is not for me. I knew that um, I didn't want to be in a hospital, like, I don't know, for long hours. I, I didn't, I, and obviously I haven't seen my brother when I was much older and knowing his work schedule and the commitments he, he, he had to give into his career and the constant exams, I was like, okay, this is not for me. So I had to actually find my own way i i was actually in control and even when i decided that i was going to quit my phd i told my mom and she was like okay whatever you decide we support you um so i've actually been lucky in that i've been in the driving seat of my career most most of the time and uh, i'm very fortunate that my family support me in in whatever i decide to do i know it's not the norm um, and i know that a lot of people feel the pressure to actually follow um, the advice their parents give them. But I've just been fortunate that mine have let me explore the world as I see fit. And, you know, when I change direction, they're, they're still there supporting me. Mm. And do you feel that given STEM subjects do require a certain way of using your brain, do you think women in STEM tend to push themselves to extremes? Women in STEM in particular, yeah, because, I mean, I don't know whether it's fair to really generalise in this way, but STEM subjects can be really hard. I mean, when we, when you think about the way we learn maths, I mean, mathematics is just so binary sometimes. Um, and so I wonder whether women in STEM tend to push themselves extra hard. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a fair point there because... Again, it's probably back to the confidence thing that you're trying to prove yourself. Um, so, you know, if you want to show that, you know, um, I know what I'm doing, I'm actually, I can excel at this, then yes, absolutely. It's, it's possible that some women might push themselves to actually achieve, you know, remar remarkable things. Um, yeah, but I think... If you really want it for yourself, then you push yourself. I, I think we all have different goals, right? And sometimes you find that women just decide that, you know what, this is not this race is not for me. I want to have a family. I don't want to work as long um, in the lab. I want to work three days a week so that I can spend time with my kids. And then, you know, they make that choice later on, you know. But at the, at the point where you're still at the early stages, absolutely. We, we tend to push ourselves to, to, to do, you know, to go above and beyond. So you mentioned earlier that women do not tend to occupy the more senior positions. Yes. Why do you think that is? Um, if I were to guess, it would be to have a more rounded life or lifestyle. So probably to spend, you know, obviously taking time, if they decide to have children, to take time away to have those children. And then by the time they're back in the game, probably after a year or two, um, they have to kind of make up for lost time. Um, yeah, so it's probably that. And also a lot of the responsibility of keeping a home together usually falls on the woman. And I have found that women now especially in this time at, 
are actually waiting longer to have kids, to have to start a family, um, because they, so, they we're starting to put our careers first now because we want to do as much as we can, so that if we were to leave the race tomorrow, by the time we come back, at least you know we, we can still keep up with our peers. So I think it's 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 unfair <laughs> but you know this is this is the role of a woman we are the ones who have the womb we're the ones who can birth the children so i think that sometimes puts us at a, at an unfair disadvantage compared to men um so because you know again if you leave your if you leave uh, your career say maybe six seven years going after your phd you know, and then you want to come back, you know, you have to kind of catch up, first of all, with what's happened in the field. And then before you actually are eligible to, to take a couple of years before you're eligible for a more senior position again. So, yeah, I think, I think this is my own theory that probably that's why um, men are in more senior positions um, than women in science or in STEM um, disciplines. Yeah, I mean, I think that dilemma exists for all women that want to make something of their lives through having a career yeah um obviously you and I can only really talk about it within the STEM arena because that's what we've experienced but it seems like women these days are in a real dilemma about having it all what does having it all mean to you what does it look like for me, having it all, I actually, I always say that this to myself. I, I think I believe I can have it all, but maybe not all at the same time. Um, I believe that there, there will be seasons in my career where certain things will be at the forefront of my life. So, you know, so that could change. You know, right now it's all my focus is on my career and, you know, hopefully starting, you know, a family in the future. But that's not my focus focus yet. But when when I do start a family, I'm sure my my focus will move to my to my home and you know making sure that my children are well taken care of and they have the the best opportunities and they have actually me to to speak to them because I actually made the decision a while ago based on my own experience with my with my parents because my dad actually was there with me almost every day during my secondary school education. And I would love to replicate that for for my for my own children because I actually believe that that's one of the reasons why I'm who I am today, that I'm able to think for myself. I'm able to make my own decisions because I had that amazing parental support. Um, yeah, and also that that he did it in such a way that he actually didn't break my spirit, you know, because I feel like it's, it's, it's challenging for parents. I, you know, I can only imagine I'm not a parent yet. It's challenging to want to protect your child, to want to instill in them the right values, the, the right discipline, the right awareness of the world. At the same time, making sure that their awe of the world or their wonder or their curiosity is not stifled, you know? So, for me, I, you know, definitely I know because it's actually one of the reasons why I'm grateful that I actually pursued a career in STEM because what I saw around me whilst I was doing my PhD was that a lot of the women around me actually had children and they were able to actually combine that with a career. They were able to, you know, 
arrange to travel as a family to conferences to make sure that their children were well taken care of. Sometimes they will turn up in the lab at like 9.30 and by 11, they have a call from the nursery that their, their child is unwell and they would have to leave and then, you know, find time to catch up on that work. So again, it's not, it's an unfair um, um, level playing field for women who, especially who have children. But I've seen that been, I've, I've seen that done and I've seen some of my mentors do that as well. So for me, I actually believe that it's possible. It's it's a lot of work <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm sure we'll be up for the challenge at the right time. Yeah, it seems like trying to have it all yeah. requires some kind of planning. Absolutely. But there's only so much planning that one can do. I mean, mm. meeting someone and, you know, kind of deciding that you want to have a family and some of that is really up to chance, isn't it? Or, or are we able to plan um, that extensively so that we can have it all? Uh, yes, you're right. It's, some of it is um, is out of our control, absolutely. Um, and that's why, like I said earlier, for me, for example, right now my focus is, okay, my career and what I want to make sure is a solid foundation so that by the time I do start a family because I want to... Um, that that shift is is that I'm able to actually accommodate that shift based on the work I've done right now. So what what I mean is I'm building a career where it's flexible and I'll be able to, you know, kind of have some flexibility around my schedule so that I will I won't feel like I'm missing out on my career because I'm having a child. So for me, yes, that's all I can plan. You know, everything else is out of my control. And um, yeah, but that's all, I, that's all I can plan. I can plan, you know, to the, to the finest detail. But in, in the bigger scheme of things, as an overview, that, that's the ideal. That's what I would like. That, you know, I've built this career that has flexibility built into it so that I can actually juggle um, a, a holistic life, a, a good a well-rounded lifestyle um, because really having it all for me, I can sum it up in one word, it's happiness. Being happy in, in my career, being happy with my family life. So it sounds as though the way you're approaching it is that you are doing everything you can to set up the circumstances for the future where you can have a family and you can be flexible at work and you're doing work that is meaningful to you. Absolutely. And so you're putting in the effort to set those things up, but whether it actually unfolds that way, you are accepting that that's beyond your control. Absolutely. But I would say that I'm, I'm quite spiritual, so I have a strong faith that that will happen. <laughs> yeah, it feels like, I think certainly the way I think is always kind of in a logical, rational way. And it's kind of like life doesn't really turn out like that. And so as a scientist, sometimes it, you can feel quite powerless um, not being able to control everything to the nth degree. <laughs> but you sound like you've got a really healthy, great attitude towards it. Yeah. <laughs> No, I have to. It's a choice as well. You know, I'm not always, oh, I'm, I'm fantastic today, you know, <laughs> but, you know, mm. you know, I read a quote somewhere that positive people um, are people who, who are not oblivious of the realities of the world, but they choose to 
control or they choose to be self-aware about their emotional state. So it's a choice, you know, it's a choice to decide that regardless of what the situation is right now, I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm, I'm going to make sure that, you know, this doesn't, you know, affect me to my core. Yes, I am aware that, you know, the world is, it's crazy. There are obstacles around. There are things that won't go according to plan sometimes. But what do you do? What can you do? Is that you pick yourself back up and you try again and that you don't let that stop you. Because we've heard about so many amazing people who, just because they did not give up, were able to achieve their fit. So for me, it's about controlling, not controlling, choosing to, to have a positive outlook on life and just believing that everything will work out as it should. <laughs> And and what is the reality of going into a field like neuroscience? Um, it's competitive. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, and at the, at the core of it, if you don't enjoy it, you will not succeed in it. You have to really, really like it. You have to really want to do it. You have to be committed to it for the long for the long haul. And you have to be passionate about the topic you're researching. For me, it was about you know. I, a lot of my friends have said, have said to me, actually, one of my friends gave me a watch recently and it had an elephant on it. And she said she gave that to me because she she knows I never forget anything. And you know you know what they say, that that's an elephant. An elephant never forgets. And for me, I, I love that. I love that I can remember memories about my family, about growing up about with my friends, you know, having great times. And I feel one of the worst worst things that can happen to a person is actually losing their memory and that was my my biggest interest in going into neuroscience research where i looked at potential contributing factors to alzheimer's disease you know why do people lose their memory what happens what what happens does it happen whilst they're babies does it happen right when they were being formed in their mother's womb why does it why is it that some people all of a sudden just lose that memory and you know it's it, it's a subject that i'm still passionate about today because if we can by by a stroke of luck or by a strike of luck find the reason why then we can intervene you know i know a lot of scientists around the world are, are, are working towards that and it would be amazing to be able to to help so many people and their families you know find some um or you know just have some hope that it's possible and people are working towards that gosh you're clearly so passionate about the subject absolutely Um, so what does your future plan look like um like i said (laughs) um science is quite competitive and you have to love it you have to be committed to it for the long haul you have to really be passionate about the topic you have to be aware of the challenges ahead. And for me, I had to come to a point where I realized that as a person, I'm driven by achievements. I'm driven by achieving milestones. And as you know, science and, and you know engineering or STEM so disciplines have a pace of their own. <laughs> you can't really control um, what happens. And um, I had to come to a rea- realization that I had to find something else that would incorporate my enthusiasm for learning, my my passion to help people, and my 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 commitment to contribute positively to the world. And that's why I, I actually 
now I'm more focused on working in the interface between science and industry, where um, we bring people together to collaborate, to, to support um, the, the next generation, to mentor younger people, to, to, to let them know what's out there, what's possible beyond um, a career in science or, or STEM subjects, and ultimately mentoring in general. Um, that's my focus now. Again, I'm, I'm learning, I'm passionate about hearing why people do the things they do, what motivates them, um, and what they're really looking for, what, what, what their purpose is, and what really brings that spark into their eyes. So that's what I'm doing now, really, um, working with scientists, working with people from diverse disciplines and helping um, inspire the next generation. Are you happy doing what you do or do I detect a slight sense of guilt for leaving neuroscience um, in that sort of academic sense? Do you know, I'm, I'm actually quite happy doing what I do because, again, I had to... I had to review my skill set and my personality. So my personality is one that I, I love talking to people and being stuck in the lab, at least whilst I was there, did not appeal to me anymore. I wanted to reach out. I wanted to work with people. I wanted to collaborate. I wanted to, to see what else was out there, out there, you know, quote and unquote. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've been fortunate, actually, it's not been easy, but I've been fortunate to to find a, a career that I'm, I'm just as passionate about um, in terms of inspiring the next generation. Although I do miss the lab, you're right. <laughs> I miss working in the lab. I miss um, the academic meetings. I miss, um, no, you know, being at the forefront of cutting edge science and and, you know, speaking with the, the you know some of the brightest minds in in the world about research and you know seeing that spark on your on the, on, in their own eyes as well so i do miss that but you know i'm quite happy um with um the work i'm doing that now and ultimately impacting the next generation well i must say it's just so inspiring to really hear the passion in your voice for what you've done in STEM and what you're doing today. Uh, your, your work sounds so meaningful in kind of encouraging women to stick with their chosen uh, career paths and to seek support Absolutely. through speaking with other women. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show and being so open about your experiences. Thank you for having me, it's been a pleasure. Wow, it's so incredible to hear from our STEM guest this week. I just feel like she has really gone through her STEM career with total confidence in her choices. She may not have always uh, had conviction about what she's doing, but she's always had a certainty that she wants to follow her heart. And I think that's really, whether you're in STEM or not, the only thing we can do, even as women or men. Thank you so much for listening this week. Don't forget to subscribe and catch you next week on Silence.